Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane here with an episode of Coffee with Kane and Casey recorded live on the No Filter Network. Now we're putting this episode into the Brian Kane Mental Performance Mastery podcast. It was recorded live, so there may be some hiccups in the recording. There may be some where we're talking over each other. But again, this is a direct feed from the Coffee with Kane and Casey podcast recorded live on No Filter. Net. If you're interested in joining the show and being a live guest, just head over to nofilter.net, click on hosts, search for Brian Kane, and you can get yourself a ticket to join us on one of the future shows of Coffee with Kane and Casey. And let's talk about how you can master the mental game on the baseball field and in life to give you that best chance for success. This is the current episode of Coffee with Kane and Casey. And we are live here with Coffee with Kane and Casey, another edition. And the beautiful part about it is, you know what we had? We had it in two places, man. And there's, you know, we had it at 10 o'clock to 1030 Eastern time on the social media. When you went to Noah Filter Network, we had it for 1030 to 11 Eastern time. So, you know, we said, we said, Case, let's just get two cups of Joe, sit down, knock out two 30 minute sessions. If anyone shows up, they're going to get an hour of coffee to the face, man. How are you, dude? Kane, you know we're ready, bro. You know we're ready with the energy. We'll go an hour. It's, it's, it's all good, it's, which I love. I got a little water. I just did Burns' like 30-minute hustle thing. I was I was that. I felt like he was like the trainer next to me yelling at me. I'm like, oh, pedal faster. You know, I was unbelievable. I'm still sweating. <laughs> love it. Love it, man. As, as my friend George St. Pierre says, he says, when you're always ready, you never have to get ready. You know, and that was a guy who was a professional athlete and UFC fighter who he kept himself in, in such good shape, even outside of fight camps, right? Like a lot of guys will have a fight camp, they fight, they take five weeks off, they get fat, they eat, they come back, and they're kind of always like catching up the best version of themselves. Where St. Pierre's thing was, he said, you know, with this French Canadian accent, he said, Brian, you know, the thing that I'm always trying to do, I'm always trying to make my best my baseline. I said, George, what are you talking about? Make your best your baseline. He's like, my best is my baseline, like the best level of shape that George gets into going into a fight. I like to try to maintain that. And every time I get a new fight, I try to elevate. He says, I want to make my wow. best my baseline. What do you think about that, Case? Wow. I, I, I like that a lot. Like, you know, that's one thing too. Like I, um, I have so many questions about St. Pierre with you. I, mean, I, I, I'd love to dive in there with you at some point about that awesomeness, because, you know, that guy was just at an elite level and I knew you were with him for many years. And I think that's, just really cool. You know, I, I, I tell, I tell, you know, the guys that I coach, kids that I coach, if I'm coaching, uh, you know, in the minor leagues or any, anybody I talk to, I try and, I try and tell them, Hey man, listen, when you go to practice, you got to practice at a level of, of intention. That's when you come to the game, you feel like you've been here before. You know, you, you got, you got, you got to practice where, you know, I, I used to, when I hit off the pitching machine, I used to pretend like I used to visualize that that was a picture. Or that, you know, that was, that was the, the, you know, the guys I'd be facing, you know, I'd put guys in my mind, a Maddox, Kerry Wood, you know, like Mark Fryer, these guys, Roy Halliday. And I would picture that pitching machine as them. So I could start to feel like, you know what? Uh, I really am here. You know, I, I, the, the feeling that I have, there's a little, I've just created a little adrenaline in my body. So that like, boom, I'm ready to go. So I don't feel, so I feel like I've been here before when game time comes, Kane. So I love that St. Pierre did that, that he's, Always at his best during practice and everything that he does. So when he hits the octagon, listen, it's 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 nothing new. Totally, and one of the beautiful, one of the beautiful things about him was, you know, the the humility, right? And he, and he would he he says this in his book, Way of the Fight, which is right there. He says, 
one of the, the greatest skills that an athlete can develop is a humble confidence. The, the humility to know I can get, I can get knocked out by anybody as he did by Matt Sarah when he was an 11 to one favorite. And he goes, and I can beat anybody. He goes, you have to have the humility to know that everyone is coming for you and the margin for error is this thin, but you have to have the confidence that when you get in the cage, you've done all the work you need to do and let it go cut loose and fight with confidence that you can win. I, I, I love that. I love that because, you know, in, in the in the arena I, I was in, you know, obviously a little different than the one-on-one octagon. You know, I was a one-on-one dogfight mound to the to me in the box. And, you know, I, I think that it was the same. It was it was the same mentality of like, man, I don't need to tell anybody how good I am. Mm. I got to go show it because if I'm telling people how good I am, you know, that's not real confidence. Real confidence is that is that humility to know I put in the work. And then I paid the price. When I get in the box, I'm ready to go. And I think there's something to be said about that. And we always, we always had a term, you know, you know, I'll be able to talk about baseball. The baseball gods will get you if you don't stay humble. Oh, yeah. You don't want to stay humble. You get ready to eat some humble pie. It just comes sm- smashing into your face. Right. right? You don't, they, they don't serve humble pie. They smash it into your face. You know what I mean? I think that's one thing as a, as a, as a, um, you know, a, any kind of competitor, man, stay humble, put the work in so that builds your confidence. And, and, and yeah, man, there can be a little arrogance, cockiness in that mind and in that, in, in what you think about yourself, but you don't need to, you don't need to let the world know it. Just go show it, you know? Well, it's, it's a difference between like sep- separating who you are and what you do. Right. And this is what I want to, I want to kind of shift to the Super Bowl and talk about Tom Brady a little bit, you know, and his, his greatness and, and a couple of things that maybe you learned from the Super Bowl. And I'll share some things that I picked up from it. Cause I, I don't, I try not to watch events for entertainment, right? We talk about last time the E to E to E ratio, entertainment, education to like energizing and all the little bit limited amount of free time that we have. Does it go into entertainment? Does it go into our self-education? Does it go into energizing us through exercise, through meal prep, things like that. And I think one of the things I saw, with Tom Brady, right? And I think it was right before the half. Tyron Matthew comes up and he's, and, and Tyron Matthew was bitching more about officials calls than he is probably times, right? And as every defensive back will. But the honey badger is sitting there talking shit to Tom Brady and Brady goes right after his ass and he has to get separated by his teammates, right? I mean, he goes right, they showed him, he goes right after him. Like Matthew's running away. Brady is running after his ass trying to go get after him, right? And they break it up. So here's a guy who's a, who's a high level competitor going to take no shit. But when the game's over and he's on the podium, hands the trophy to his daughter, deflects all the phrase, you know, all the praise when they're saying, Tom, is this the rank this one compared to the others? And he's like, I was interested to see how he was going to answer that one, you know, if it was a, hey, New England, uh, here we are, where are you? You know, but it was, it was a, hey, I'm not going to compare. I'm not going to compare this to anyone where the world champions of this season and the immediate deflection. I'm so proud of these guys and these guys right here, you know, so let's unpack the Super Bowl a bit, Casey, if you would. What are some of the things that kind of you saw or you learned or you picked up while watching that? Man, there's so much to unpack. And, Kaner, I kind of look at things like you do. I, I like to watch a game. And I like to watch guys and their composure and how they go about their business. You know, and I love what I love about Brady, you know, the first scene when he's coming out of that locker room, you know, he's, he's second, third guy coming out. And there's just a look that's like, I know that look. It's like, it's game time. You know what I mean? Like, we've done all the prep. And now it's game time. There's a certain look. And I love Tom Brady. I think he's got that look, you know, better than anybody over the years. You watch when he's on the bench, whatever he's doing, man, there's a look in his eyes that's different, you know, that he's in the moment. Like he is so focused on the task at hand. He's not thinking about anything else. And that's one thing I watched with him. And I think when I 
in that first half, you know, when you watch them, man, I tell you what, talking about, you know, being there before, because I played in the World Series, Karen, like when you get to that highest level, I don't care what anybody says. There's a different, a different adrenaline rush. There's a different energy in the air that you just can't ever simulate. And when you look at Brady, you're like, wow, this guy's heartbeat is so much different than everyone else's because he's been there so many times and won it so many times. And that's the whole thing. You, know, you can't teach experience. So for me, when he was, I think he was 16 to 20 in that first half, man, it just felt like he was sitting in the pocket and slicing and dicing from, from the get-go. And that's what impressed me the most of just how he was able to really sit in that humongous moment, but just, you know, back to the process, back to what works. Let's go. This is just another game for him. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think it was amazing too, right? When they won the NFC championship or AFC championship, I don't don't even know what division they were in. When they won their conference championship, right? Uh, Bruce Arenas afterwards, when he's getting the trophy, he's like, hey, one guy changed this culture. You know, one guy changed this organization. One guy brought this type of belief. And then, you know, here's Tom Brady. Every night, Leonard Fournette, their running back, posted this on his, his Twitter. He said, every night at 11 p.m. during the Super Bowl week, Tom Brady sent a text message to everyone on the team and said, we will win this game. Talk about the importance, you know, because at that level, right, you got the cream of the crop, you got the best of the best. But when you bring in a guy like Tom Brady, not just the, super, the six Super Bowls, but I think the character, I think the work ethic, I think the humility, I think the characteristics that you're referring to. How can one guy, even at that level, from a leadership standpoint, have that type of impact in the locker room? It's belief. You know, it's, it's, it's really the power of belief. You know what I mean? I, I was thinking about Peyton Manning going to Denver, like, bam, Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, oh, wait, wait, what happened here? No, no, no. Power of belief of a guy that's big like Peyton Manning, that's humble like him too. The thing I love about Tom Brady as a leader, I always say people, people ask me, hey, what's a, lead? what's a good leader? I think a good leader, a great leader is treating people the way you want to be treated not acting like you're bigger than anybody else and recognizing others. And I, I think I said this you too, Kaner, before us, the sweetest sound anyone can ever hear is their name. And I love the story when Tom Brady, a, a, a backup defensive line was, lineman was telling the story. He said, listen, I come in my first year as a rookie. I walk in the clubhouse and Tom Brady's like, hey, what's up, Jeff? Good to have you here. And he's like, are you kidding me? The greatest of all time knows who I am as a backup lineman walking into that clubhouse. I think that's why you run through a wall for Tom Brady. I got a quick story for you, Kaner, <clears throat> that goes along with, with exactly what we're talking about. When I was with the Red Sox in 2008, Scott Pioli, who was the GM, um, GM at the time, president, you know, of the Patriots, and they had already, I think they already won a couple titles, maybe three at this time. I can't remember, two or three or whatever. Um, and, and so we go to camp. I bring my kids out. You know, we're all there. It's, it's awesome. It's full house, packed. You know, everyone's there. And, I, and I'm excited. Scott Pilly has us down on the field and, you know, Belichick's doing his thing and, you know, they're getting ready to start practice up. And, uh, and here they go. You know, practice starts and I'm watching with Scott Pioli and the second, the second play of the offensive snap, Brady in the center fumble it. Well, you know, I didn't think anything of it until <clears throat> the greatest of all time takes a lap with the center. Right? They fumble the snap like it's high school ball, and there goes Tom Brady and, and the center to take two laps around the field while the practice stops. And I said to Scott Pioli, I said, Scott, why is the greatest player in the NFL now, you know, taking a lap? You know, he just, he goes, Case, when the best player on the team and maybe in the league buys into the system, everyone else falls in the line. And I thought that was so huge. You know, talk about humble pie. You know, that's a leader right there. 
That's something right there. No great in route. You fumble the snap, you run a couple laps. And I just, when Scott P always said that, and then I watched Brady the rest of his career, and I'm just like, no wonder this guy wins. Like, he's that kind of leader. Yeah, when I was working with Baylor University Baseball years ago, their head coach, Steve Smith, had a sign in the back of his office door that said, people need a model to see more than a motto to say. And I think in leadership, there's nothing easier than talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And that's what you're saying is Tom Brady fumbles a snap and he's going to get two laps. Now, did the entire practice stop while those guys are running laps or did another backup quarterback come in and they were going? Entire practice stopped almost like an embarrassing moment. You know what I mean? Like almost like something you would do with a high school kid. Like, you know how you fumble? Yeah. No, practice just stopped. Everyone just waited for them to run two laps. They started up again. It was it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I, I literally couldn't believe it. And uh, it, says, it says so much. It says so much right there. Love that. You know, I'm actually channeling my inner Belichick here with the cutoff sleeves and the sweatshirt with a mustard stain. I'm working with SMU football. Their head coach at the time is a guy named Chad Morris. Chad Morris is a football coach at Lake Travis High School, Austin, Texas. He had a quarterback by the name of Garrett Gilbert. Garrett Gilbert, people may remember when Texas played Alabama in the national championship game. And Colt McCoy got hurt. In came Garrett Gilbert. Didn't go great for Texas or Gilly that day. But Gilly ends up transferring to SMU, has a great career, plays in the NFL. His first year in the NFL, he's a backup with the Patriots. So he's in the film room every day with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. And I remember sitting with him at SMU. Awesome, awesome. Garrett Gilbert, fantastic human being. I'm like, Gilly, give me something, man. Give me something about Belichick and Brady. Like, What was it like? You're in there, you know? And he's like, well, Kinder, on my first camp in there, we're three days into camp, and Belichick's got the cut, cut off gray sweatshirt, New England Patriots. It's got a mustard stain on it. And every day he's wearing it. And I said, he goes, I said, I said to Tom, I said, Tom, does, doesn't coach have any other sweatshirts or something? And Tom looks at him like all seriousness, like it's no big deal, like saying, hey, the sky's blue today. He's like, oh, yeah, dude. It's only day three. He hasn't gone home yet. Oh, my God. Like, like, like the guy hadn't left the office yet, man. He's still wearing the same sweatshirt that he got the mustard stain on at dinner on day one. He's still wearing it on day three, you know? And it's like that, that, that obsession, you know, that obsession with greatness. And I think that's, there's an, there's an HBO documentary in case, maybe this is something that we need to watch before the next coffee with Kane and Casey. There's an HBO documentary about Belichick and Saban. I have not seen it yet, but it's tagged. And I think I, I think we should watch that and break that down next. Well, we don't have a call next week, but two weeks from now, yeah. I think we should break that down. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. We'll tune into that. That looks absolutely awesome. Yeah. Talking about greatness too, Saban and Belichick. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this was interesting, uh, Sean. You know, Lonnie Almeida, head softball coach at Florida State University, 2018 national champions, maybe seven or eight ACC right. championships in a row. She sent me this. Let me share my screen. She sent me this. And I want to kind of have get your thought on this is she sent this picture that said coming out of high school, right? A five-star recruit. Can you see the picture? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So coming out of high school, right? A five-star recruit or the Notre Dame, Clemson, LSU, Alabama, they're the cream of the crop. Four stars are a step below three stars are your mid-major guys. And then there's a whole host of other people called others, right? Wow. So. In the Super Bowl, man, on two, both rosters, one five-star, one five-star out of high school playing in the NFL Super Bowl. And there's about 40 others named Joe, more probably in this case. Named Tom. <laughs> so, so why, is it, why is it that do you think these guys that are the blue chip guys? Now, granted, granted, 
there's going to be less five stars coming out of high school every year, right? There's going to be more fours, more threes, and a lot more other guys who aren't ranked. But why is it that the best of the best at 18, 19 years old come out of high school? There's only one in the Super Bowl. Why do you think that is? You know why, Keener? Because I saw it when I was playing, you know, in the big league, especially coming up in the minors, man. You've got the five-star guys. We call them five-tool guys. Man, this guy can throw. This guy can run like the wind. This guy can hit for power, hit for average, right? He's got to, he's got to, he plays great defense, the five-tool guys. There's not a, you know, ton of those guys, you know, that, that sometimes, what I think here is sometimes it comes too easy and they don't have the failure early on. And then when the failure comes, they don't know how to deal with it, right? Like you start to realize, you know, when you get the division one baseball, wow, everybody around here was player of the year in high school. Then when you get the minor league ball, you start to say, wow, everyone here was player of uh, of the year in college, you know, or wherever they were, you know, they're the best of the best. And all of a sudden you start to say, what makes me different, right? What, what differentiates me? And I, I think, you know, when I, when I look at that, I, I think about, you know, kind of my story a little bit. Like I wasn't that guy. I wasn't the five-star guy. I was the guy that got cut. When I, you know, in high school, when we used to run the 60, they're like, you're cut. And I go to the guys like, hey, uh, are we going to hit? Is this a track trial? They're like, no, we're not going to hit today. This is, uh, you know, you, you ran the 60 to 74. I'm like, yeah, but if I hit the gap, I could jog to second base, right? It's no big deal, right? So, you know, I would, and I always tell people, hey, when you have those failures, like you talk about failures, positive feedback, failures, information, right? And I was talking to Kevin Euclid about this a while back saying, hey, collect the chips, right? So, for me, like getting cut in high school on a, on a run, that was a chip. You know what I mean? Not getting recruited by any colleges, like having to go out there, that was a chip. You know what I mean? Not, you know, people telling you couldn't do it, it was a chip. So there was a lot of failures along the way that I looked at as positive feedback and not a failure. So as as I moved up, Kaner, in the minor leagues and into the big leagues, what I had those failures, I'm like, no, I've already been hardened. I've already been here. I've already had some experience that have hit me in the mouth. And I've been able to like figure out how to get through them. And I think the five star guys, the guys with all the talent that have dominated all the way up, you're eventually going to get hit in the mouth. And when you get hit in the mouth, a lot of guys don't know what to do. And now they're older, so they haven't had those experiences and they crumble. They become the victim mentality of, oh, this guy said this and he said this. Who cares they said that? No one's ever said that to you? No, no one's ever said it to me. Well, guess what, man? Either start dealing with, you know, things that are going to happen that aren't always perfect. And put and get your chip bag and put them in there and using it as fuel, or go suck your thumb in the corner and go home and cry to mommy because you know no one someone told you something you didn't like. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. So good, man. I love you said failure is positive feedback. That's something my mentor Ken Revisa would say all the time. He'd say failure is fuel if you learn how to use it right. And then when you're talking about taking those chips, Mississippi State Bulldogs one year, I think they went uh, at one point, they might have been maybe picked to finish last in the SEC, Mississippi State Baseball, and they go play for a national championship. They don't win. I think maybe they lost to Arizona. I can't remember. But they had T-shirts, T-shirts that they wore under their jersey that had chips on the shoulder. It was like Mississippi State logo here and like a chip, a poker chip on the shoulder. And their whole thing was they'd hit a double and they'd hit the chip on the shoulder. And they talked about everybody thinks we suck. We got a chip on the shoulder, right? You fail. You're told you're not good enough. You're the seventh person picked in the NFL draft. You're the, set, or the seventh quarterback picked. You're the seventh quarterback at Michigan as a freshman. You, you're splitting time with a guy who's off playing minor league baseball and Drew Henson chip on the shoulder, you know? And I think that's, that's yeah. such a great advantage for people to take. And, and I, I will tell you firsthand, I wasn't a five-star guy. 
But when failure hit me in college, going to division, went to a small high school case. I was like, I was, I was the captain of the football, baseball, basketball team. I started varsity and all in baseball and football and basketball as a freshman. I was, you know, baseball and football as a quarterback behind a guy who went and played professional baseball, played baseball at East Carolina. He was a dude and I didn't like contact. I was a quarterback. I was going to throw. I could, I had one skill I could throw. So I was, I started as a sophomore, you know, but I was like being this, I was like being the best snowboarder in Mexico, right? I was in a small town, small fish and you just don't know, right? You don't know because you're in that small town locked into that deal. This is before showcases. You go out and easily see the best talent out there. So I go to Division One college baseball. Now everyone's good. And I don't know how to pitch. You know, I mean, I'm throwing, I throw the ball as hard as I can and hope it goes over the plate. That's it. I got no secondary shit. I just throw it past people. And I'm throwing it past people at 86 to 88 in high school because I'm playing against I'm playing against schools that got 60 kids. You know what I'm saying? So I think I'm good. I go to college and I'm getting crushed, failing. And I did not know how to process it. And the one thing that Ken Revisa would always say, right? And I'd hear him talk to, to, he was my mentor for the people here. He was my mentor in the mental game at Cal State Fullerton. I have a face tattooed on my heart. He's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. He's the, the one picture I have. My, I have two pictures in my office. My wife and I, and, my, and Ken Revisa and I at Dodger Stadium, and he was with Vanderbilt. I was with TCU. And the one thing he'd always say is you've got to learn to process it properly. He said, failure is never failure. Failure is positive feedback if you learn to process it properly. Now, my question for you is, when I was playing college baseball, I, I didn't process it properly. And I think I didn't process it properly because I had no one teach me how to do that. Mm-hmm. To me, everything was go harder, do more, go harder, do more, go harder, do more. And then you're in the quicksand. The next thing you know, like you're overtrained, you're broken down, you're trying everything you can. You're in the primal pitching where you're struggling, you're, you're back hard as I can, ball comes up in the zone, lose velocity, lose movement, you're getting tattooed, you try harder, and it gets worse faster. And I'm like, holy shit, what do I do? And that's where I found the mental game. So how did you learn to process it properly when you were were failing along the way? Wow, King, that's that's great stuff, man. That's great stuff. I mean, so it's your story is so cool that you use that failure, you know, in division one baseball and the drive to say, what what was it that I couldn't get to that next level? What was it that, and then you found Ken Reveza and, you know, and, and obviously your life is what it is now. You know, it, it's so awesome. I think that's so great that you, you use that failure as positive feedback, not even knowing that phrase back then, you know what I mean? Which is really cool. You know, for me, I, I, I started reading the book, uh, the mental game of baseball about Harvey Dorf when I was about 16, 15, 16 years old. My dad randomly bought it. You know, I just like fell in love with it. And it helped me with that stuff of like, I just brought into what Harvey was saying, you know, process, not results, you know, you know, and, 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 and the, and the whole thing of like mental toughness, like the ultimate compliment someone can give you is, Hey, you're not a great baseball player. Hey, you're not a great this, great that, man, that guy's mentally tough. Man, that guy's able to go one pitch at a time. Man, that guy shows up every day. Man, that guy's able to turn the page fast. Man, that guy struggles for three days and not three weeks, you know? So for me, it was like, it was learning that process. I kind of brought into like, okay, getting that deep breath, like, like, like turning the page quicker than, you know, that learning that if I wasn't able to relax, I wasn't going to have success anyhow. So I looked at it as, okay, it just didn't work that time. Maybe that guy was nasty. Maybe I swung at a bad pitch. Maybe there was a little anxiety. I was able, care. I was able to learn to ask myself the right questions, right? I used to go to 10 different things before I ever went to my swing. 
Am I relaxed? Am I did, did I get a good breath? Am I relaxed? Am I hunting the fastball? Am I really seeing the ball late? Am I seeing the ball early? Am I seeing the ball late? Am I swinging at strikes? Am I ready to go pitch one? I just said eight questions. I haven't even talked about any technique, right? Eight questions. I probably had I probably had two more. So 10 questions I went to before I ever went to, hey, how's my legs and where's my hands and all this stuff that I worked on in the cage. I didn't do that when I was in the game. I went to these the process of the questions of asking me, where's my mind? Where's my demeanor? Where's my relaxation? So for me, when you ask, when failure hit, man, I was I had a little bit of a toolbox when I first started, and that toolbox grew. One of the toolboxes I love, the tool in my toolbox I love is the belief. I started to believe that I put in the time mentally and I put in the time physically. And then if I have a bad game, it's it is what it is. And I remember in the minor leagues, people would ask me, even in the college, I remember Scott PJ McGorry, a good friend of mine in the Myers, asked me, like, hey Case, you know. Man, you, you struggled today. Like, you know, what, what are you what are you thinking today? And I and I would tell I remember telling PJ, I said, you know what I think, PJ? The storm's coming. I feel bad for whoever I gotta face tomorrow, no matter who it is, because the storm's coming for somebody. But it was an internal belief. It was an internal belief that I said, I said, man, I might have struggled today, but the storm's coming for somebody. And it could be the greatest pitcher of all time on the mound. I'm coming for him. Right. And it was just, and it was like an internal dialogue I had with myself. That made me that made me not sit in the struggle, like you know. And I think I look back in my career, you know, I was I was able to be a 300 career hitter. You know, that's that's consistency, you know, over time. And I believe that I was able to do that because of that thought process and that mindset. And when I had failure, I said, "No, the storm's coming for somebody. Like I'm coming for somebody tomorrow. I can't wait to get out there." Hashtag the storm is coming. Love that. Love that. Okay, we got some people hopping on here. If you're here, please join us with No Filter Network Coffee with Kane and Casey. If you would please put inside of our chat where you are from and who you are and what you're getting out of today, the storm is coming. Now, Case, I got to ask you, where did you learn to think like that? Is this is this you? Like when you, I got goosebumps all over my body, man. When you said I started asking myself these eight questions before I went to mechanics, because the number one thing I see players do, I did it. The guys I coach, they do it. I see it all the time. Is the one thing they go to is mechanics instead of asking yourself like, was I present? Was I ready to hit first pitch? Was I on time? Was I in control of myself? Asking your, you know, did I have a plan? Asking yourself those questions about process before you get into mechanics. Is that something that you picked up from reading the mental game in baseball? Is that something you picked up from getting to know and having a relationship with Harvey Dorfman? Is this something that your parents or your college coach or minor league coach taught you? Like, wh- where does this come from? My, my dad was a very positive guy. You know, I always thought he, he was always trying to look at the, you know, my, my mom and dad were big on like, you know, being positive and all that stuff and, and really focusing on, you know, the, the gratitude part of life. So I think that was part of it. But really, I'm telling you, Kano, it's crazy. I didn't meet Harvey Dorfman until my fifth year in the big leagues. So that book to me, I just bought in. No one had ever taught me some of that stuff. I just, I had bought into what, you know, a lot of what Harvey had talked about in the mental game of baseball. And what I found was it worked. Like it freaking worked. And I was like, wow, this, this actually works. When I, when I, when I go through, when I ask myself the right questions, it actually works. And what I found was my, the thing that I loved about it was when I asked myself the right questions, I got clarity about what I was doing. Because think about this, Kane, I think we've talked about this before. 
when I'm in the batter's box and I'm facing, I'm facing a, a you know, a 94, 95 mile an hour pitch, right? Okay. That happens in point four. Now I, I blink in point four, right? I blink in point three, eight or whatever, point four, right? So when I'm in the box, right? I have, to, and I'm about to hit a big league pitch at 95. It's probably the average nowadays. I got to say to myself, with my eyes have to say, is it a, am I swinging or am I not? Is it a ball? Is it a strike? Is it a fastball? Is it a two seamer? Is it a cutter? Is it a curveball? Is it a slider? Is it a split finger? Is it a changeup? Right? Is it up? Is it down? Right? I don't have time to think about what my body should be doing. I have got to ask myself the right questions and get clarity on what my process is so that I can have the best chance of that 0.4 seconds to be able to deliver a blow to that ball, right? And I think that was a big thing for me because if I knew if my questions were, where are my hands? Where are my feet? How's my body doing? This and that. I've already seen that. With, and I, no, no offense to some of the guys that didn't make it to the top, but saying like that mentality, I, that, that's a dime a dozen. The mentality of, let me think about what, what my body should be doing, right? And not really what my mind should be doing. Those guys don't don't get to the highest level and succeed there, right? Or if they get there, they're not there long. So they're asking the right questions to myself about process. That, that was everything to me because it gave me clarity pitch by pitch. It gave me clarity pitch by pitch. Man. And you picked all that up from read. You said you picked up the mental game in baseball. You were 16. Is that right? You were in high school. Years old. I hated reading too. I didn't read any books, but that book just like it, it, it hit my soul. And I like every, every free period when I was in high school, I go read that book. I go read the book and the mental discipline chapter I fell in love with because I was like, that's the ultimate compliment for me. Is, is, is mental discipline. You say I'm, I'm mentally disciplined. You say I'm mentally tough. That's what I want to hear. I don't necessarily want to say, hey, you're a great player. I want to say, no, no, you're, that guy is mentally tough. That guy's got mental discipline. What year did you graduate high school? 92. 1992. Man, your, high school, your high school in the University of Richmond must have been a hell of a lot tougher than the University of Vermont Mount Greylock High School because I read the mental game of baseball my, between my freshman and sophomore year of college and I was playing summer ball. And I didn't. I liked it. I was like, "Wow, this is really good." I, I actually, my roommate was from Dartmouth in summer baseball, and I'm like, "Okay, this guy's smart. What's he got? Oh, mental game of baseball." So I took the book and started reading. I couldn't put it down, right. and I didn't get that. I didn't get my, you know, and maybe it's, it's just I'm gonna read it again, and but I didn't get those those questions, man, because I always went back to mechanical. Mm. Everything was sure. mechanical. Yeah, and. I remember my sophomore year of high school. Um, I always thought I was going to play football. I was a quarterback. I loved football. Baseball is just something I did because you couldn't play football in the, in the summer and in the spring. So I'm playing baseball. I'm pitching. I make a team called the Bay State Games. It was awesome in Massachusetts. I wish more states would do this. I know travel ball and select and all that jazz now kind of takes precedent. But Massachusetts, it was really cool. They used to break the state up into six sections, Western Mass, Central Mass, like Metro, which was Boston, Cape Cod, Southeast, Northeast, and there was another one in there. So there's six teams and the best freshman, sophomore, juniors, they come together and make one team. So the, the best freshman, sophomore, juniors in all of Western Massachusetts, the top 20 guys, 25 guys, you're going to Harvard. You're playing in a six team round robin against these other teams. And I was fortunate to make the team as a freshman. I had, the, it was classic. I had in the tryout, I had the best day I've ever had as a pitcher. 
And then I come back two weeks later, having made the team, and the head coach is watching me throw a bullpen, and he's like, how did you make this team? <laughs> he's like, how did you make it? I'm like, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> and I got to say, I had, I must, I must, the radar gun must have been off or something in the time I was throwing two weeks before. So I, because I made the team and then where was I going with this? Base state game. Okay. So I come back my sophomore year. I make it my freshman year, come back sophomore year and I come out and I'm closing like the, I'm in right field and I come in to close the gold medal game. I mean, it's, it is the most adrenaline. I was an adrenaline junkie, still kind of am. The most adrenalized baseball environment I'd ever been in. And I'm just throwing as hard as I can, 88, 88, 88, 89, 88, 89, sophomore in high school. Pretty good, right? So now I start getting letters from college coaches. And I got a pitching coach who's a big guru in the area. Oh, come start working with me. You're 88, 89. You'll be close to hit 90. You, you know, get drafted, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm in. So I start going to do lessons. And I go from being an, ath- an athlete, what I call naughty, right? Excuse my language here. Fuck all batter mentality. I'm coming at it, letting it rip, let it go. And and I get into the mechanic of rocker, pivot, flip, up, down, out, triangle, rotate, and I become a robot. And I leave high school throwing like 82 to 84 because I became so, I went from being competitive and athletic into mechanical and robotic. And when I got into college, the mechanical and robotic got even worse because I didn't have anybody ever teaching me how to compete. And a lot of coaches will say, you can't teach people how to compete. And I'll say, that's completely bullshit. You can teach people how to do absolutely yeah. everything. You know, and I think there's two types of training. And this is what I wanted to unpack here as I just went and grabbed my stack of Dorfman books, which will break down here. (laughs) I want to unpack. I want to unpack the two types of training, mechanical and competitive. And mechanical training has an internal focus. I'm inside my body. I'm feeling where my hands are. I'm feeling where my hips are, where my feet are. If I'm if I'm a skier, I'm feeling what I'm doing, going into a corner right? I'm feeling the mechanics of what I'm trying to do. As a golfer, I'm feeling the extension in my swing. I'm trying to be in my body, but you can't compete that way. You have to compete into targets. You have to compete into what you're doing in the moment. So there's mechanical training where I'm building the fundamental skill in the mechanic, but there also has to be competitive training where now there's an outcome I'm trying to get. And I think it looks like it in baseball where if I'm, if I'm hitting off a tee, I can do the same drill. I'm hitting off a tee, but I'm feeling my, I'm feeling my load. I'm feeling my hands. I'm feeling my hips go before my hands and and kind of staying into my lower half on the swing. My brain is in my body. I'm feeling that competitive is I'm going, okay, I got to get this ball straight line off the back of that cage eight out of 10 times, or I'm going to run two laps and coming back in and doing it until I can. And now I'm focused on, I'm visualizing. There's no one in the league but me. I'm visualizing the pitcher throwing the ball. There he is. Here it comes. Load. My eyes are on him. And then I bring my eyes down to the tee and I go. To me, that's competitive training versus the mechanical. External focus and competitive. Internal focus and mechanical. Would you kind of unpack your take on training both mechanical, learning swing, and competitive, learning how to hit? Learning how to compete. Oh man, can yeah. There's so much good stuff there, man, and I, I, I totally, <clears throat> I totally agree. Um, you know, with all that you're saying too. Yeah, I think there's, you need them both. You need them both because the body and the brain, the connection, the myelin, the myelin connection of protein that you're forming when you're really hitting. You know, when you're learning that swing. When every time I learn that front arm works like a frisbee, the back arm skips the rock. The front arm throws the frisbee. The back arm skips the rock, and I just work that. You know, boom, I'm creating that myelin in my brain all of a sudden that boom, there it is. You know, I'm creating that, that flow. 
my body bumps back. It's back to 50%. You know, my, my front knee, my back knee rising to the plate. I remember, I keep my hands back as I deliver the barrel, right? So, so I really believe the mechanical part has to be trained, right? You have to train that, right? And I think that's when you start to, then, then you can really train, train the competitive part of, of, you know, the mind and the body connection. So one of the things that, I, that my, my son Jake and I have been doing lately is, you know, I always say like, if you, first off, if we're doing flips and you pull a ball, it's five push-ups, right? And we can do, we can get, you know, and, and, and those push-ups, the, the, we stop pulling the ball pretty quickly because <clears throat> my brain says, you know, we're going to get to five push-ups, right? So I, I like that. One of the things that we do with, um, with, 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 the, with the flips is that the metal part of the game is, you know, we talk about the ball traveling, right, and how, how tough that is. Like, I, I think elite hitters, listen, I don't care what anyone says. You know, people say, go get the ball out front. I get it. you got to get the ball out front, but out front is pretty much off your front leg. I get so sick and tired of people saying, hey, go get the ball out front. You're a dime that does it. Anyone can go get the ball way out front of their, of their, of their front leg. I, I just disagree with that. When I watch film after film after film, the greatest players in the world and the biggest, they hit off their front leg. So one of the drills that we, I do with Jake and, and my son Andrew is that I'll flip it to him, and what I do is I have him hit it directly across from them. Right, so I flip it and I have them hit it directly across. So we go five directly across, five here, and we just work our way up the up the up the left side of the cage. Because if you're lefty left side, righty right side, and it's just a way to really say, okay, five here, five here, five here, and then five off the back of the net, and that's competitive training. Now that's really training. Now, okay, let's get mentally right here. Let's really focus on what we're doing. Let's not let's not be robots and just be up here hitting the baseball. And, and I always know after I do those drills, man, you know, like Harvey used to say, I'm sure Ken said this to you, Case, after a game, after a session, you should be physically and mentally exhausted. And I think if you're working correctly, especially in the cages, there should be a mental exhaustion to what you're doing if you're working with intention. And I also believe, Kaner, that that mentality is the mentality you'll need when you face that pitcher because there's always that 5 o'clock mentality and seven o'clock mentality, and I think the seven o'clock mentality is when you're putting the brain and the and the and the body demeanor into play with everything that you've done. Yeah, I love that. I love working with intention. And I remember, you know, when I was a grad student of Ken Revis's, it was it was awesome. And I met Cal State Fullerton. I come across from Vermont. I'm there, and here he is. He's walking out to the field to Cal State Fullerton's practice. It was just in the College World Series of last year, and. I'm following me and all the grad students were like the pied, you know, he's like the pied piper. We're just following him out to the field, watching him operate. And he's walking up and down the cage and he's like, Hey, what are you working on? What are you working on? And the guys are like, uh, hitting. He's like, no, no, no. What are you working on? Like be specific. And I can't tell you that, you know, my Mondays and Tuesdays case are locked in, as you know, from like 7 a.m. to 9. Yesterday I went 7.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. 30-minute segments, oh one after the other. I had one 30-minute break. I went for a run, came back in because the person canceled about 10 minutes before. I said, I got to get out of here. Boop, boop, back. And when I, when I ask people about their goals, I ask them what they're working on. Uh, I ask them, you know, to how are you going to apply this? They live in the land of generality. Very general. I'm going to work hard. Well, no shit. I'm going to be positive. Yeah, okay, how? Like, give me the specifics. Here's the, here's the line I want to share with the people that are with us is, Losers, I say that with love, 
But losers live in the land of generality. Winners live in the land of specificity. you got to be specific with what you're working on. I'm working on hitting is for 10-year-olds. I'm working on driving the ball with backspin into the bottom. If I take the back part of the cage and break it up and put a square in there and break it up into four, I'm working on driving the ball in the bottom right quadrant. You know, I'm working on um, whatever it is specifically with my swing, but there's an intention and there's a purpose. Would you kind of address the difference between being mechanic or I'm sorry, being general in life versus being really specific? I mean, did you say, oh, I want to play baseball? No, you probably were very specific about what you wanted to do in your career. Would you unpack those two things, general, specific, please? Wow, that's great too, Kaner. Yeah, like I agree, man. The, the more clear that I got, you know, the, the more clear that I got, the better I was, right? And, you know, I, I think, I think you know, I look at myself like routines. You know, you, you're you a big routine guy and I am too. You know, even just, you know, getting up and, 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 and you know, making sure I'm, you know, drinking a green drink right when I get up 16 ounces of water. I, you know, I do my workout, you know, I, you know, uh, put down my gratitude list, I, you know, just do things like that. So now that's kind of my thing. But back when I was playing, you know, you know, really getting specific on <clears throat> when I was, uh, you know, the you know, short term, my dad used to tell me short term, long term goals. It's so funny looking back, you know, <clears throat> I think that the verbiage has changed now in life. But th- 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 what I realized when I go back to Harvey's stuff, was that process, process. So when I used to go hit, my process was left center. How many balls can I hit? I used to do the long the long, the long uh, T drill. And I used to tell myself, how many rockets can I hit to that left center corner? Right? And like, and, and, and can I play the whole album of back and black and hit every ball, ACDC, back and black, and hit every ball to that left center corner? by myself in the cage at University of Richmond at 11 o'clock at night on a Tuesday. Can I just rocket balls all night long there into that left center corner? And, and like, they, to, to me, that was such an intentional thing when I was working by myself, right? And then I would move the team, maneuver it. Like, maybe there were some days I was working, you know what? I'm looking to hit that middle end pitch a little better. So today, I'm going to put the tee a little out front and learn how to really pull a baseball with backspin. Not get up there and hook. I'm going to really learn how to get inside it and pull the ball to the right center corner. How many times can I do it? Wham, 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 wham. And I might do that all week, right? I might do that all week. But the specificity of it, that was so huge for me. And then all of a sudden, boom, I go out to practice. Now I'm with my team. I always say you get better on your own. I know it's a team sport, but you get better on your own. Find time to be by yourself to work on your skills, right? You get better on your own. Then I go to I go to I go to practice first round. You know we do our own two bunts, get them over. You know hit and run, get them over, get them in. Then bam, I go into my routine. Everything to left field. No matter if it's going to hit me in the chest, I would somehow get inside it to left field. Second round, left field again. Third round, hit the gaps. Fourth round, hit the gaps. Maybe a couple out of the park. Fifth round, see where if I can go deep dead center. That was the Ken Griffey Jr. drill in our group. In our group with me, Ken Griffey Jr., Adam Dunn, and Austin Kearns. It was the grown folks round. All right, fellas, grown folks, five swings. It only counts if you go dead center. And I was like, man, these, these guys, I mean, you're with Adam Dunn and Craig and Virginia, Austin Kirk, like, these are some grown folks. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, here we go. You know? And it was, but it was intention. There was intention there. It was an intentional round of, of, of everything that you did. And so when you get in the game, it's like, here we go, man. We've just, everything we've done, we've done it. We've worked on mental game because we've worked with intention and we worked our physical game and we're ready to go. So 
I think there's something to be said about getting clarity about what you're doing. Don't you show up in the cages and hit 200 balls and, and come tell me you hit 200 balls. I'd rather you hit 40 balls with intention, be mentally grinded and, 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 and get after it than hit 200 balls. You know, repetition is the mother of skill, but like, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, you know, it's got to be really good repetitions. Got to be good repetitions. We're going to get some repetitions here with ACDC. Back in black. Case, can you hear that coming over the airwaves, man? I love it. I want to see you in the cage right now, back in black. Just Richmond, 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. Just absolutely lasering into the back of the cage. Let's go. Let's go. Dominate the day, man. Dominate the day. A couple things as you're talking there, man. You keep coming back to process, and I love that. Yesterday... Yesterday, I was on uh, a call, college baseball pitcher, potential first-round pick, lots of expectations, junior um, your junior year, right? So big year for him. And I asked him, I said, hey, man, what are your expectations for the season? Here's what he said. Here's my goals. And I just posted them in the chat if people want to follow along. He said, I want to I be a weekend starter. I want to win the first outing. I want to be all Big 12. I want to be an All-American. I want to help the team go to Omaha. I want to win a national championship in Omaha. I want to be statistically the best left-handed pitcher in the NCAA. I want to be first in strikeouts in the conference. I want to make a name for myself. And I said, well, why don't you throw in there a first-round pick? He goes, well, that'd be a good one, too. I said, be a first-round pick. And then I sat there. I wrote all these down. And I, and I asked him, like, I want to ask you, Case. I said, do you know what the problem with all these goals is? What would you say is the problem of all those goals? Let me list them again. And for the for the people we have here with us, I know we've got super moms. And we've got Michael Kowalski, super freak. And we got people on here, elite athletes. We got parents. Let me give you, let me read this list of goals too. And let's see if you can identify what the problem in this case. Be a weekend starter. Win my first outing. All Big 12, all American in the NCAA. Take my team to Omaha, win the national championship. Number one in the NCAA, number one in strikeouts in the Big 12, make a name for myself, be a first round pick. What is, now when I asked him, I said, what do you think the problem is with all those goals? He was, he kind of looked at me like I was crazy. What do you, what is the problem with those goals? I think they're all result-oriented goals, oh, right? They're all, they're all outcome goals, all outcome goals. Now, there's no problem with outcome goals. Right. If, if processed properly and reverse engineered back into process goals, if you just set the outcome goal, you're like living in Rhonda Burns' The Secret. I want to be an All-American. Well, yeah, so does everybody else playing college baseball. Okay, yeah. so so how are these going to come back down into what you're trying to do from a process standpoint? So as we started to work, I said, Give me, I said this line, and I picked up this line from an Alabama softball pitcher back in 2012. changed my life. We're in a room talking about these exact goals, outcome goals, bring them back into process. And she said, Brian, what you're really saying is my goal must be in my control. And I said, okay, well, yes, love that. My goal must be in my control. And then he said, here, here's my process goals. Make my slider a better pitch. Execute shadow bullpens mm. four days a week. Mm. Always project confidence and have big body language on the mound. Value every pitch as if it's the same, whether it's a pitch on a Tuesday against, you know, uh, SFA or a pitch on Saturday against University of Texas. Every pitch is the same. It's a pitch. I want to have 90% execution on my, my success checklist of what I do routine and habit-wise during the week. And I want to stay neutral and stay in control of myself. And I said, if you can execute those process goals, make your slider a better pitch. We have to get more specific on what that actually means. But using Rapsodo or the data, we can do that. But make my slider a better pitch. Execute my shallow bullpens. Big body language. Project confidence. Value every pitch, whether it's the same. 
uh, treat it as if it's the same. 90% execution on my weekly routines and habits and stay in control of myself at all times. <clears throat> he can do that. I can't guarantee him he's going to get those outcome goals, but I can guarantee him he's going to have the best chance for success at getting those outcome goals. Would you agree with that? That is so great, Kanner. <clears throat> that is so great. I remember, I remember my, like my first full year in the big leagues, I hit 330 <clears throat> with, uh, um, 332 with 25 bombs, nine ribbies, all-star, you know, I'm on top of the world, right? I come in, I come in my uh, second year, I, I'll never forget it, man. I, I remember, like, second spring training with the Reds, I'm like, man, I'm the man. Like, I'm, I'm legit. Like, I just, I just, I threw 330. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an all-star. I remember having a, not a great spring training, probably hit like 180, you know, and then I got hurt, and then I came back four weeks later, and I struggled for like a month and a half. It was so frustrating. And no, like I said, I'm, I'm 26 years old, 25 years old at the time, second full season in the big leagues. And um, I ended up going back to my, you know, my high school coach. And I said, what do you see here? And it was what's crazy was I couldn't see it for a month and a half. It was crazy. And, I, and he goes, look how tense you are. Look at the tension in your body. He goes, you need to, you need to slow down. And not waste and, and 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 really really see the ball, right? So it was like a it was like the, the aha moment. Oh my gosh. I I took what I did in 99, brought it into 2000, and I was just this good hitter and forgot everything that made me a good hitter in 99 was the process, right? Was not my results. Mm. And so I ended up coming back in that second half, and I think I hit like I did really well. I hit like 370 because I told myself. It was such a great lesson. I told myself, I'm not wasting one more pitch. I don't, I wasted so many pitches for two months. I can't waste another pitch. So I really got into the process. Slow, you know, deep breath, slow down, hunt the fastball, look middle way, react in, you know, and do it every pitch, right? So, boom, so whether I was successful or not, it was every pitch. And I start playing a game with myself, Kaner. I was hitting like 210 at the time. I said, if my average moves, it's a success. So one for four. It's a success. Open three with a walk. It was a success. So the next year in 2001, I ended up hitting 315 that year. It was unbelievable. 315, 20 homers, had a great year. 2001 comes. Reporter comes to my locker, says, Hey, Case, what are your goals this year, man? 330, 100 RBIs again, <clears throat> 30 home runs? I said, No. None of those are my goals. Those are result oriented goals. I don't think about that anymore. I don't care. I said, My goal. Is to go is is to win every pitch over 600 plus plate appearances, and if I do that, I really believe my results will be there. And they'll be what they are. They will be what they are. They might be 330. They could be 270. It could be 25 homers. It could be 15 homers. I don't know what they're going to be, but I know that if I sell out one pitch at a time and I sell out to my process, my numbers will be pretty good, and they'll be where they're supposed to be. And that was when I really, really learned at the big league level. Like, you can't just get in the box and hit on reputation. You can't just hit on the, get in the box and hit on what your result-oriented goals are. And man, I want to hit 300 with 30 and 100. No, it's going to – only way that happens if I, I can really get master the process of one pitch at a time and get so into the task at hand and the, into the moment that at the end of the year I go, wow, I'm mentally drained, but look at those numbers. Mm. 
Fam, so much good stuff coming out there, man. And, and one of the things you talked about that first year, you had so much success, right? And a lot of times in baseball and in life, people say, if it ain't broke, what do they say, Casey? If it ain't broke, yep, don't, if fix it ain't broke it. don't fix it, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I always come back and say, no, no, no. If it ain't broke, break it. And break it. So like if I were working with you after that first year, right? I would, I would either we would get on a Zoom. I would have come visited you. You would have came out to the house. We would have gone to Cabo, whatever. Right. And we would have sat down within that first couple weeks of the season being done and then a deep dive into everything and said, let's identify the process that you used this year. What worked? Get it down on paper. And then before the season, we would revisit it to make sure that you could remember, because the challenge when you're an athlete is there's so many things that you do that it's hard to remember. <laughs> right. It's hard to remember. So I want to share I want to share something with you that I did. Um let me let me just make sure I'm I'm smart about how I do this. Uh, I want to share with you what I did with a major league baseball pitcher this year, who had an who had an unbelievable year. Um, I mean, best 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 year of his career was in the Cy Young Award voting, and maybe maybe the best turnaround in baseball. And I want I'm just I'm, I'm working on something on my computer here, but I want to show you, and I want to show you what we did. And, and this is something that I picked up from another Cy Young Award winner named Jake Arrieta. So I start, so if you win a Cy Young, if you win a Cy Young and you've been through the, the Brian Kane mental performance program, I, I get your bobblehead and put it in my office. So Jake Arrieta, <laughs> Jake Arrieta, I started with at TCU. David Price, I started with when he was at, um, at Vandy. And I gotta go, I gotta get a Trevor Bauer bobblehead now. So the thing that Arietta said, okay, so he wins the Cy Young in, in 15, statistically the second half of 2015, the best in the history of baseball for a half for a major league baseball pitcher, all-star game being in the middle. Okay. The, the two, so 2015, he wins the Cy Young, 16, he wins the world series. So November of 15, he gets the Cy Young, February of 16. So four months later, he's at the TCU alumni baseball game. Him, Matt Carpenter are doing the kickoff banquet and had both of those guys in 2006 uh, and seven at TCU. So I'm in the back room. It's me, my wife, Carp, Arietta, and we're just talking mental game. I mean, those two guys are into it, right? And I said, Jake, man, you had the best half in the history of baseball as a pitcher. Like, what were you doing? Tell me about your process. Kid you not, 20 minutes later, He's still talking about what he did the day after he pitched and he hadn't made it to noon yet. And I'm like, Jake, do you have this process written down? And he said, no, I got it, but it's all up here. I live it every day. I said, dude, you got to get written down because you, there's so much there. There's so much there. Let's get it written down. Now, the, so, so I took that advice and I said, okay, well, the guys that I work with, you know, individually moving forward, man, I'm going to help them identify their process. So let me show you this. This is in, um, can you see my screen now, Case? Yeah, yeah, I can see it, yeah. yeah. This is, oh, shit, hang on. Uh, good. Hang on. Hang on, let's play some back in black. <laughs> hang on a second. Hang on a second. We're dominating the day here. Here we go. We're dominating the day with a little back in black. And we're not using Zoom either. So I click on Zoom and I go, where's Case? He's not there. Hang on. Hang on. There he is. Hey, present, not perfect, right? This would rattle some people. It excites me. 
here we go. So I'm going to show you these routines. So this is something I would work on with a pitcher. Okay. If I'm working with you and you're, and you're an, a high level pitcher, I don't care if you're in junior high, high school, college, or major leagues. If you want to be great to me, this is a, a part of being great is identify your process. And, it, and it's the same thing in life. Like I would encourage you, Sean Casey, Right now, in life, no longer a major league baseball player, write down your morning routine, write down your evening routine, put it into a checklist so you know whether you did the things you need to do or not. So here's this picture. Here's his pre-inning routine. This is what I do. This is what I do before the inning starts. Here's my pre-batter routine. This is what I do before batter. This is my pre-pitch routine. This is my red, yellow light release if I need to flush a bad pitch. This is what I do when I come out of a game. Because how I come out of a game can set me up to kickstart my recovery for the next game. I love the last one. Go home, be a husband. Separate the game from your life. Here's what I do for my shadow bullpens. Okay. Now, when I start as a major league pitcher, you got five days between starts. This is what I was wanting Arietta to do when we were talking at that TCU banquet. And I, I would imagine he did. That's just how he operates. But here's the seven day, the five day routine as a starting pitcher. Here's what I do day one after I start. Here's what I do day two after I start. Here's what I do on day three. Here's what I do on day four. Here's what I do on day five, the day I do start. Boom. And then here's what I do that start day. When I get to the yard, how I get it going. Here's my pregame routine, what I'm throwing in the bullpen, all my pitches. And then if I'm a reliever, because this guy was up and down in both uh, reliever and starter last year until he cemented himself as one of the best starters in baseball, he said, here's my routine I do when I get to the yard before a game if I'm hot. Hey, he watches MLB Network. I love it. Here's what I do when the phone rings, right? Here's how I get myself up and ready to go. Here's what I do when I come out of the game. Here's what I do on a day where I'm shut down. So, you know, I, I said to him, I said, hey, let's get this written down. And then that's what he gives me. That's what he sends to me. He goes, Does it, did I get this right? Is this what you were looking for? And I went, holy shit. That's why you're going to be great. Oh my God. Because you have the process and you have the checklist that you operate on. And the, and the take home here for the people who are with us is there's so, if you want to be elite at what you do, entrepreneur, athlete, as a mother, as a father, it doesn't matter in life. There's so many little things that add up that you got to get them written down in a checklist or you might miss one. And that one might be the key needle mover that you got to do, but you don't know because it's one of many. What do you think about that case? That is so good. That is so good. I, I tell I tell guys I work with all the time, write down what you're doing when you're going well and, 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 and keep doing it, right? And I, I agree with you, Kaner. I know for me in my life, when I got clarity and I got it written down of what's going on, I'm so much better than when I'm just like, yeah, this is what I got going on in my mind, you know, because you'll forget. It's amazing how quickly we do forget how the brain works. You quickly do forget. So I love that, man. I love that. Write it down, get clarity, have it in front of you. And get it out of your mind onto paper and, and you'll remember it. Mm. Because then what, what you're constantly trying to do, right, is let's say I have that on paper. I'm an athlete. I have my routines down on paper. What can I then do? I can go to my strength coach. I can go to my nutrition person. I can go to my mental coach. I can go to my physical therapy or my athletic trainer. I can go to my position coach. And I can go, do you think there's anything I'm missing? And when people have done that and they brought it to me, I go, well, you don't have any concentration grids on there. or You're not doing mental imagery or – you're not tracking sleep. Let's start there. And they, add yeah. to their, and they add to their formula. The key thing I want people to get here is you will not memorize your formula. Don't trust this. Trust this. Trust paper. As, as, as one of my <laughs> – Howard Matursky, my seventh grade shop teacher, okay, 
my seventh grade shop teacher, what he used to say is he used to always talk like this. And I'm like, bro, why, why are you giving me the shocker? What's going on here? Why are you giving me the shocker? He's like, Wichita State, man, all the way. Go UH. Is he's saying, he would say, the, strong, the smallest pencil is stronger than the biggest brain. And wow. I, didn't, I didn't get it. He said, the smallest pencil is stronger than the biggest brain. And now I get it. Because there's so many things that we need to do that if I don't get it down, I will forget. For example, here's an example that our entrepreneurs who are here can, can use is I have a process that I use every Wednesday and every Sunday called clear to neutral. So if I go to my browser, here's my clear to neutral folder. Here's all the things that I go through on Wednesday. I go through on Sunday. First thing I do is I click on my clear to neutral checklist. I'm going to do it eight to 12 today when we get done with this call. And I do it on Sunday between two and six. It takes me about four hours. But I go through and I do all my social media posts. I go through and check all my direct messages. I clear all my voicemail. I clear all my, my comments on my website. I clear all the voicemails and I check all my calendar appointments. I even have on here shave, put lotion on my skin, and cut my nails. If I have to get a haircut, I get the haircut. I have bring check the mailbox, right? I've got everything I need to do on this checklist. That to me is what I call clear. Oh, I didn't even share my screen. You didn't see that. Fantastic. Let's come back and check it again. So here's my clear to neutral checklist, right? You can just see I print this. I literally sit at my desk and I just go through in order. And this wow. is how I clear the neutral on Wednesday and Sunday because otherwise, like otherwise, I get lost, you know, and I go in a specific order and I, and I move, I'm in the process of moving things around in order so I don't get lost, right? And if I, if I don't have that checklist, what happens is I just, I just exist and I'm chasing shit all day long. Instead of going in, tip of the spear, lock in the focus and attack what's on my list in front of me, clear to neutral and then be done. Be done and move on to the next thing. Like writing a book. Let's go through Harvey Dorfman, coaching the mental game. Another one, coaching the mental game. He's got the mental ABCs of pitching. Right. He's got, as you mentioned earlier, a book that both of us love, The Mental Game of Baseball. His book, The Mental Keys to Hitting, is, yes. in, my, is in the bedroom. Here's the ones I want you to get, Case. Yeah, I got to get those. Each needle, each branch. Harvey Dorfman's anecdotal memoirs, dude. This is ah. like his journal. Oh, Four of them. Each needle, each branch. Persuasion of my days. Copying it down. Babbling echoes. Wow. I. I, I don't even know they exist. I didn't know. I didn't know they existed. You told me a couple months ago they existed. I got to get them. I got to get them. Yeah, I told you a couple months ago. You didn't write it down, and because you didn't write it down, you have to take an action case. That is the truth. Hey, that is the truth. I got to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, "Clean it up. Get hold of yourself." Yeah, yeah. I mean, because what we want to do, man, and we'll still summarize today's call and wrap it up here. It's been fantastic. Is we want to take a lesson from. Tom Brady. Let me share a little more Tom Brady here. Yes. Is, is here's a couple of things, man. Here's Tom Brady, a quote that came out after the Super Bowl. He said, I don't like, like leaving much up to fate, certainly with regard to my football career. Right. He says, if you're, if you're, if you're me, here's where it gets good. If you're like me and you're serious about peak performance, you need to work hard at the things that are within your control. I hear you say this all the time. Control what you can control. He says, your work ethic, how you treat your body and your attitude, especially your attitude. If you're taking notes here and you're still with us, attitude is a decision. It's the most important decision you're ever going to make. Things happen sometimes that I don't welcome or I don't want, but I make the choice to remain positive. That is something within my control. I don't like to focus on the negatives or to make excuses. I'm never a victim. I gain nothing if I get angry or frustrated. 
You can make life a lot harder for yourself by focusing on negative things in your path or making excuses for the way things don't go your way. Or you can refuse to take them personally, let them go, learn from them, and become the best version of yourself. Tom Brady talking about become the best version of yourself, talking about controlling what you can control, about attitude being a decision. He says, it's a choice. It's actually your choice. If I throw in a reception, have a bad day, make a bad business decision by staying in that place, I will just make things worse. Wisdom, he said, is about knowing the difference between the things you can control and the things that you can't. Wisdom is knowing the difference between the things you can control and the things that you can't. Tom Brady. Wow. So good. So good. I love the attitude is a choice. And you can make that every moment, every moment of your day. Mm. Attitude is a decision. Every day you make that decision. Well, it's 905. I want to be respectful of our people's time. <laughs> I feel like I, I feel you said you blink in point four. I think I just blinked and it was six minutes. <laughs> we just went for an hour, an hour and six minutes, domination, hour and seven. Yeah. And one thing that we, 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 you know, again, present, not perfect, progress, not perfection, key mindsets. On our social media, we said 10 to 1030 on the, on the no filter network. It said 1030 to 11. So we just said, Hey, we'll go for an hour. Good. You know, so we're going to, uh, we're going to next week, we're going to be off. I'm, I'm in book writing mode next week. I will be un, <laughs> unavailable to anything and anybody because I will be in the trenches grinding out a book, which I'm excited about. And then the following week, we'll come back. And we're going to look 10 to 10.30. 10 to 10.30 Mountain or Eastern, 8 to 8.30, 7 to 7.30 on the left coast. And until then, don't count the days. Make the days count. See you in two weeks. See you, Karen. Thanks, man. My, my pleasure. And in closing, hang on. Hang on. You know what? I, I want to say in closing, I always say what Harvey Dorfman used to say to me after every call, be good to yourself. You know what Revisa used to say? What? what? Breathe deep. Oh, I like Breathe deep. deep. So I think I think in honor of Harvey saying be good to yourself, and in honor of Ken saying breathe deep, I think we need to have a sign off here on coffee with Kane and Casey. What's your sign off going to be? Yeah, be good to yourself. There you go. You know what mine's going to be what? Dominate the day. Dominate the day. See you in two weeks. Yeah, baby. See you later. See you in two weeks. Hey, thanks for checking out this podcast. This is Brian Kane, and I would love for you to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show. I'd also love to engage with you directly on social media. So please reach out on Instagram or Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. And then make sure you head over to BrianKane.com and check out some of our articles on our blog, some of our videos. And if you're a coach looking to master mental performance and up your game so you can help your clients get the results they've been looking for check out my mental performance mastery coaches certification where we teach you about the mindset routines and habits that your clients need to get the results they've been looking for if you're an athlete or a performer listening to this podcast head over to briancane.com and click on athletes check out my 30 days to mental performance mastery for athletes program where i walk you through and coach you virtually to help you master the mental game and give yourself the best chance for success thanks for being with us here on the podcast Let's dominate the day.